he took the cup and he said this is the new promise through my blood take and drink this in remembrance of me there's some flowers up here and this is in remembrance of Kevin Miller and his family at the loss of Kevin's parent and we thank you for sharing those with us today I'm about to reveal a guilty pleasure when I have to do laundry and fold I hate folding clothes I hate folding clothes I'll wash them I'll dry them, I'll put them away, but I hate folding them. But if I have to fold them, one of the things I do is I turn on American Pickers. All right? Any of you know what that show is about? Okay. Yeah, he's crying. He's going, no way, uh-uh. Yeah. Here, it's these two guys. They live in Iowa. They drive all over the countryside, and they go into these barns, and they're just filled to the rafters with boxes and stuff. And they jump and dive into these boxes, and they're pulling everything out. And then what will happen is somebody, 
one of the two guys will reach into this box and they'll pull out something that's rusty and it's falling apart and they'll look at the person and they'll say, I'll buy this from you. And the person will say, I haven't seen that in 50 years. And they say, okay, well, I'll give you $100 for this. And then you see the person go, I don't know. A hundred and ten. But it's so precious to me. Dude, it's been in a box in the bottom of a barn for 50 years. How precious could it be? So I'm taking my socks and I'm throwing them at the TV. Sell it! Sell it! Isn't it amazing? And, and they'll turn it down. You know, and I'm looking at this, I'm going, in six months, that's going to be so rotted away, it's just going to be dust. like you're ripping out their hearts. Hmm. I titled today's message, What About Stuff? What about stuff? What stuff would rip out your heart? What things are you like my friend up here holding on to so tightly that God would have to pry open your fingers or in trying to remove it from your grip, it would destroy it. What's the stuff that owns your heart? Now that stuff doesn't have to be material things. It can be a job. It can be how people think of you. It can be so many things. Only you know what your stuff is. There was a young man who had to deal with stuff. Now we find this young man in Mark, or in Matthew chapter 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. And we have to actually compile them together to get the whole picture. It's like three different snapshots. Now, we're going to be camped out in the book of Mark, starting in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like having them here. They actually get me. Kids, you're welcome to go to Children's Church. Thank you. I'm going to hear that in the elder meeting afterwards. I know that. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Notice what it says. And as he, that's Jesus, he's just met with the ladies with all their kids. He's just blessed all these kids. He just looked at the disciples and says, don't let the kids, uh, don't stop the kids from coming to me. So as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up 
and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow! This is the evangelism moment we all dream of. People running up and saying, Please tell me how to know Jesus. But Jesus doesn't respond like I think he should respond. He, uh, he does something different. Now, the reason why we need all three of the Gospels is that each Gospel tells us a little bit more about this man. Now, this man, he is passionate. He has broken protocol. You say, how do you know he broke protocol? Ah, because one of the other Gospels tells us that he's a ruler. Probably a ruler of the synagogue. He's a man of authority. He's a man you look up to. So he doesn't run. But he runs. We're also told that he's rich. Why would he ask this question if he's rich? Because in that culture, if you were rich, it meant you were closer to God. The richer you were, obviously, the more favor God has shown you. So he was wealthy. So he should have been really close with God. But you know what? He runs and he asks this question. It also tells us that he was young. The sky's the limit for this young man. He is the VIP in his village. Every mom is trying to marry her daughter off to this guy. He's the guy with potential. He's the guy with connections. And so his worth, his value, everything there is about this guy is summed up in those three words. Rich, young, ruler. He has so much. He's ahead of the pack. He's ahead of everyone else. And yet he runs to Jesus. And he throws himself on the ground and he says, Master, good Master, tell me. And he said, wow, Jesus, this guy's ready. Go for it. Lead him to you. This is awesome. And guess what? Jesus doesn't do that. He does something different. In fact, let's look at what Jesus did. Jesus reveals several things about this young man's heart. First off, notice what Jesus does. He challenges his use of the word good. Did you catch that? Good master. Whoa, hold it. Let's look what it says in the scriptures. I'll let Jesus say it. He says it better than I could. Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Time out. You called me good master. Do you understand, number one, what you mean when you say good? Number two, do you understand that you are right? None are good except God. And guess what? I am good because I am God. Do you understand the implications that you have just said? Are you saying, yes, I understand your deity. I understand that you're God. And thirdly, do you understand that you're not good? Jesus begins to crack open this man's heart. He shoots a, a volley across his bow to start shattering his self-made 
world so carefully constructed that it held its value it held his worth it held his identity and so jesus begins by attacking there and what does the young man do he doesn't reply he misses jesus's challenge so jesus continues notice the question the young man asks, I want you to take a closer look. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now friends, this reveals a heart of pride. This is not like the Philippian jailer who after watching God shake the jail and watching Paul and Silas walk out, this is not like him who said, what must I do? I am overwhelmed by God. I'm desperate for God. This is a, a heart of pride that says, hey Jesus, I'm on the rise. You're a little bit older than me. You got a few things that I don't got. Hey, uh, be my life coach here. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me how to earn my eternal life. Well, friends, you can't earn your eternal life. That's impossible. God doesn't have a balance, a scale. God is the only one who is good. So he's the only one who can save us. You know, the, the problem with pride is pride goes hand in hand with a salvation by works. And the problem with trying to get rid of pride is the more that we work on getting rid of our pride, the more it increases. There was a pastor of yesteryear, his name was uh, Harry or Henry Ironside. And as a young man, he went to San Francisco to work with the Salvation Army. And as a young man, he was good-looking, he was athletic, he was a champion debater, he was smart, he had all these things. And one day he went to one of his friends and he said, you know what, I realize the sin I struggle with is pride. And his friend goes, fine, I know how to deal with your pride. He says, I want you to get a sandwich board. I want you to just put repent on the front and repent on the back. And I want you to go down to the middle of the corner and I just want you for three days to stand there all day preaching and you will be mocked and they will throw fruit at you and they will, they will just make fun of you. They will tear you down. You will be spit on. That will deal with your pride. And Henry said, that's a good idea. So he put on the sandwich board. He went downtown. He started to preach. Sure enough, everything came true. And after three days, he went back to his room. He took off his sandwich board, and he laid it down. And he said, you know, I bet no other minister of the gospel in the city of San Francisco would have done what I've just done. <laughs> now, he ended up being used by God, but God had to deal with his pride in his own way. You can never work your way out of pride because you're proud you do but I want you to always remember this God is 100% for the humble and always 100% against the proud and so his pride this young man's pride is flourishing 
But notice also his question reveals an emptiness. For all his position, his wealth, his power, his security, his connections, deep down he knew that something was missing. There was an emptiness that none of these things could fill. A friend of mine was pastoring a church and a, a power couple came into their congregation. The guy was a big wig. He, he made lots of money, very successful, well-known businessman, and his wife was this beautiful, stunning woman. And later on, my, my friend, as they started to attend, found out that she had actually participated in a Miss America contest. But one day, she said, I, I want to meet with you, Pastor. And so she met, and here she has the big mansion, she has the car, she has everything. And as they meet, she starts telling about the emptiness of her soul. And so he begins to tell her about Jesus. And she goes, oh, that's, that sounds good. But, Pastor, I just need someone to love me. I just need someone to love me. That's the emptiness in my soul. Well, this couple stayed only for a short time, and they went off. And about a year went by, and the pastor was doing a funeral, and they showed up at the funeral. And he saw her, and he went to shake her hand, and he noticed that her arms were covered with bandages. She had a scratch across her face. He said it looked like she'd been in a fight, and she lost badly. And he said, are you okay? <laughs> yes, I am, Pastor. I'm fine. But the bandages, the scratches. Oh, Pastor, I've got a new kitten at home, and it's just pretty wild. But pastor, my kitten loves me. Now I'm loved. Emptiness. This young man, just like this woman, is saying, I'm empty. I know for all my works, it's not enough. Notice the third thing with me. The question also reveals a lack of self-honesty. Jesus brings out the law. Notice what he says. I want you to keep the law. The purpose of the law was to be a giant mirror to our souls. It was to reveal in us where we don't make it. Where we fall short. Why we need a Savior. My wife and I, uh, we love to explore things. And one of the things we explored many years ago was... Um, a place where the mob had all these underground tunnels. And the place had been owned by Frank Sinatra. And we went through this tour. They showed us the room that uh, Marilyn Monroe stayed in. They showed us the secret tunnel to JFK's room. I mean, they did all this. It was really interesting. And then they said, do you want to see the dressing room that the Rat Pack used? Now, for you younger kids, ask your grandparents. They'll explain it to you. And so we went in. And they said, here's the mirror that Frank Sinatra and all those guys used. And I, I looked at the mirror, and it was this giant mirror, and it was just filled with lights. Just filled with lights. And, and 
And he says, let me turn it on. And it was like daylight. And I looked in the mirror and went, ah! Because every imperfection on my face was revealed. It was scary. But that's what the law was for. The law revealed where we fall short. But notice this young man, he's asked the law, but he's asked only half the law. He's asked the part of the law that deals with people. And Jesus asked him the question, let's, let's look at it. He says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He says, oh yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've kept them from my youth. Self-deception. He obviously didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount where if I have hatred in my heart, that's like murder. Has he really always honored his father and mother? Always? But he says, yeah, I got it. He's self-deceived. He doesn't get it. I think the reason why God focused on the things dealing with people is because when, if we are not in love with God, we can't love people. People can be ornery. People can be hard to love. And when we are in total love with God, God gives us his ability to love people. That's what he says in 1 John. If you say, I love God, but I hate my brother, then the love of God is not in you and you're a liar. Why? Because it takes the love of God to transform us. But this young man, he looks at the mirror, but he looks with his eyes closed, and he self-deceives. So notice what Jesus does. Jesus, with a laser focus, burns through the self-deception. He burns through the pride. He gives him a cure for his emptiness. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. And what he tells these disciples, or tells this young man, leaves the disciples speechless. Their jaws hit the ground. Because he tells them this. Just as Jesus the surgeon rips off the bandage, he picks up his scalpel and he goes to work to reveal the problem. He tells the young man, sell everything he has, give it to the poor, and follow him. Now, I want to be clear here. This passage is not teaching that I sell everything I have so I can be saved. That's not what it's teaching. There, it is not saying that I have to take a vow of poverty to be used by God, that God hates rich people. That's not what it's saying. That wasn't the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage also is not to begin being a hermit. In fact, many in the past have read this passage. They become monks, they become hermits, believing it will grant them eternal life. That's not what he's saying here. In deference to Bernie Sanders and Steve Corbet, Corbet, Colbert, well, I can never say his name right, this passage is not laying the flat past, uh, foundation for socialism. <laughs> what in the world? I can say it again if it would help. I've never had that happen before. No matter what you read on Facebook, 
with people quoting scriptures out of context to say that Jesus supported this or that, I can assure you this is not a political statement by Jesus. Jesus is not endorsing Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, or John Kasich in this passage. What Jesus is doing is taking his scalpel and he's peeling back the layers to this young man's heart and revealing the idol that holds him by the throat, the idol that dominates him. Jesus is opening the door for an idolectomy. He's challenging the young ruler to see that the idol is in his life and it's owning him. What he's asking is impossible for this young ruler. Because by selling everything, he will lose his position. He will lose his favor in the community. He will lose his ruling position. His identity, his security, his power, his value, his worth will be ripped from him forever. And he will never be able to recover from this. For if he gives his money to the poor, in that day it would have been used to buy food. It would have been used to buy friends out of slavery. It would have been used to pay off debt on land. It would disappear within a day. It would never, ever be able to be recovered. And he will be poor from this point on. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, I'm going to give you something you can't do. Because it's too costly. I'm the only one who can do it for you. And that's by you embracing me as your treasure. So follow me. If you want eternal life, I'll be your treasure. If you want to be valued, I'll value. Find your identity in me. Find your worth in me. Find your security in me. I am the one who has to be your everything because I am the one that will not rot. I am not, I'm the one that will not rust. I am the one that will never, never run away from you. You can never lose me. Friends, this is the same message that Jesus has given today. He says, don't put your hope in the things of this earth that Moth and rust will destroy. But lay up treasure for yourself in heaven by making me your treasure. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart? Friends, hobbies aren't bad. Stuff isn't bad. Loving your family isn't bad. But if you want to have the freedom that comes only from Jesus, those things can't be your idols. They can't be your identity. Parents, your children are a gift from God, but they cannot be the conduit from which your worth and identity and value flow. They can't be your all in all. Friends, your job, your frugalness, your wealth, your illness, your education, your looks, your body, your health, you fill in the blank, can never be your true treasure. They can have value. They can have worth. You can say they're important, but they can never be your ultimate value. They can never be your ultimate ultimate worth because only Jesus can be your ultimate treasure. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know if it's an idol in my life? How do I know? It's when it screams, you need to do everything for me. You know, that's the difference between Jesus and an idol. 
Jesus says, I gave up everything and died for you. An idol says, give up everything and die for me. When I begin to realize how much Jesus loves me, how I preach the gospel to myself each day and remind myself of that incredible, amazing love of Jesus, it begins to melt my heart. And I begin to treasure him above all. But notice this young man. Notice what's happened. He's grieved. The word here could also be translated distressed. It carries the idea of a grief mixed with anger. He was given a choice. You can stay with the treasure that's left you empty. You can stay with your pride. You can stay with your self-deception. Or you can make me, Jesus, your treasure. I'm going to give you a front row seat to my ministry. Could you imagine what it had been like to have been on a front row seat with Jesus? Wouldn't it have been fun to eat miracle bread? Yeah, you know. Yeah, Jesus just fed 20,000 people with this piece of bread, and I get to eat it. To watch the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. He was being invited. Jesus says, you're going to find in me everything you need. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. It ripped his heart open. But he ran back to what he knew. He was afraid to have Jesus as his treasure. A couple years ago, I was working with Bright Peak Financial. They asked me to come in and be part of a, a survey group. And what they had discovered with all the amazing studies out there on finances, most people won't follow them. And they wanted to know why. And it came down to an emotional response. It came down to a heart. They were afraid. They didn't want to give up what was going on. They, they didn't want to give up. Maybe that's true of you today. Maybe that's true of me. Friends, I, I could have given you a list today of do's and don'ts on how to handle stuff in your life, but unless your heart is fixed on Jesus Christ as your ultimate treasure, all the good advice is for nothing. So may I beg you to choose this day Jesus as your treasure? May I beg you to be prepared. It will be painful, just as the rich young ruler found out. It'll be painful as your old idols scream for you to make them part of your treasure. You will grieve, but my friends, you'll be free. There was a little girl. Uh, her dad gave her a beautiful set of plastic pearls, and she started wearing those. And she wore it, and they were big enough that she could just keep wearing it year after year. And one, one year, as she got a little bit older, she was about 12, her dad came to her and said, Sweetie, I have a favor to ask of you. Would you give me your pearls? Dad, you know I love my pearls. Yes, sweetie, but you love me, don't you? Yeah, you know I love you, Dad, but, but anything but my pearls. Anything else you want, you can have, Dad, but not my pearls. 
Jesus said, okay. He went back night after night. Sweetie, can I have your pearls? Can I have your pearls? And finally, with tears in her eyes, she said, Daddy, I love you more than my pearls. Here you go. And she put the pearls into her daddy's hand. He set the plastic pearls down and he reached into his pocket and pulled out a set of beautiful real pearls and put them on his daughter's neck. He said, sweetie, until you were willing to let go of this, I couldn't give you that. And I've been longing to give you what I really wanted you to enjoy. But I knew you weren't ready to receive what I had for you. Friends, make sure your hearts and hands are open. Have Jesus as your treasure. Enjoy and love whatever he places in your hand. But don't hold on too tight. Don't let it become an idol. Find your worth, your value, your identity, your security in him. Now this passage ends with something interesting. It says the young man walked away. Many sermons have been preached on how, see, he's lost forever. What does it matter to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? But in research, there's an interesting idea. We can't prove it, so I'm not saying it as a fact. But an interesting idea, because in the book of Mark, in this passage, one thing is said about this young man. It says that Jesus loved him. Throughout the book of Mark, there are little things that indicate that it could be Mark that's who he's talking about. You remember in the garden, the guy who runs away naked? Probably Mark. There's a chance this could be John Mark. I hope so. Because it meant that he finally gave in to the love of Jesus Christ that he returned and said, Jesus, you're my treasure. You may have rejected Jesus as your treasure in the past, but he loves you. May I plead with you that today you return and embrace him as your treasure. Worship team, would you come and lead us and prepare us for the offering? Could we have the ushers come forward, please? Heavenly Father, You have entrusted much to us. And all that you've given, we hold out before you with an open hand. Take what we offer to you as an offering of love. In Jesus' name, amen.